Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Super glad that you could all be here this morning. We're going to continue in 1 Peter, so if you have a Bible and you want to get a head start and open there, that'd be great. I actually want to start this morning just reminding us of where we've been, um, mainly because I think it's easy to forget sometimes that uh, when Peter or Paul or someone wrote a letter in this fashion, the intended way that it was meant to be consumed was in one sitting. And so these letters would have been circular, and they would have moved uh, amongst these many churches, and then they would have been read start to finish. And so there's tremendous benefit in us taking our time and going a couple of verses uh, at a time and being able to really sit in it and contemplate and think and consider what it is that's being said, but we have to be careful not to lose the continuity that's intended in it. And so um, let's just review where we've been so far. Peter's, remember, writing to a group of Christians who are living in a season that's similar enough to our own that there's still tremendous relevance in it for us today. So this was a young church like ours, and it was filled with lots of young Christians, and they were walking through a season of significant trial. And their trial was different than ours in that they were not going through a pandemic. They were experiencing intense persecution in the form of being alienated from the majority culture that they were in. And so they were having to live through that. And so Peter opens in chapter 1 with a bunch of reminders. He reminds them of the gift of grace that God had shown them in awakening them to faith in Jesus. He reminds them of the new life that resulted from it. He reminds them of how God uses suffering for good. He reminds them of the reason that they have for hope. He reminds them of their relationship to God, their relationship to one another. And in the coming chapters, he's going to teach them and us about our relationship with the surrounding culture that we live in. And so this morning, we're going to study just two verses in which Peter transitions into what is really the main body of his letter, and he's going to set the stage for everything that's to come in the following chapters. And so to that end, Peter wants to contextualize everything that he's about to write by helping us understand uh, exactly what's at stake when it comes to the way that we as disciples of Jesus carry ourselves in this world. And so if you've never stopped to consider that, you should do so now. The way that you carry yourself as a follower of Jesus matters in this world. And so here's how uh, I want to frame our big idea. This is my own words summarizing what I think Peter is trying to get across for us here. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Every believer's life is a billboard for the gospel. Every believer's life is a billboard for the gospel. So think about billboards for a second. Uh, I know billboards are just selling us stuff, um, but if they're doing a good job at it, I appreciate a good billboard. And uh, you know who, oddly enough, I think has great billboards is the state of Wyoming. I don't know if you've seen these travel Wyoming billboards. They're like up and down 15. Every time I see one of these, I'm like, you know what? I, I too want to travel to Wyoming. Uh, it's just, just people just living their best life in beautiful places And I've even been through Wyoming multiple times. I know how flat and boring it is. But every time I see one of these, I'm like, this is like Narnia, man. How do I get to Wyoming? 
And so when they're doing a good job, I'm, I'm thankful for a good billboard. Now, now, here's the thing. A good billboard has to deliver on at least two fronts, okay? Number one, a good billboard has to grab your attention, right? Because if you think about it, typically you're driving down the road going about 70 miles an hour. You're trying to focus on what's happening so that you're driving safely, aware of what's happening around you, what you're doing, probably listening to music or a podcast. And in the midst of that, a good billboard has to grab your attention uh, from whatever it is that consumes it. So either the imaging or the messaging needs to be so compelling that you are able to take note of it, and ideally, that you would also take whatever action the campaign is constructed toward. So a good billboard has to grab your attention. But secondly, and probably most fundamentally, a good billboard has to be true. Like it does not matter how compelling the imagery if the message it conveys is false advertising. Imagine a company that advertises a special that does not actually exist, which is kind of like what I feel like the Wyoming one does, just a little bit. <laughs> or, or maybe where there's just so much fine print that there's this disparity between what is being promised and what's actually delivered. That billboard would be rendered useless. A good billboard has to both grab attention and be true. And so here's what this has to do with our text this morning. Peter is going to call those of us who follow Jesus to live in a way that is aligned with the new life that we have been given by grace. Furthermore, he's going to tell us why our conduct in our surrounding culture is so critical, namely because every believer's life is a billboard for the gospel. And so like a good billboard, our lives as followers of Jesus are meant to grab attention and to display what's true. And so here's a question that I want you to be stewing on this morning as we study together, all right? The question is this, what does my life say about the nature and power of the gospel? I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider that. If you were to think about someone on the outside looking in at your life, what does your life say about the power and the nature of the gospel? So to that end, if you haven't yet, go ahead and open your Bibles again to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, all the scripture is going to be on the screen. I just want to call this message, What's on Your Billboard? Okay? So let's read these two verses together, and then uh, we'll go through them more slowly. So Peter starts, and he says this, Dear friends, I urge you, as strangers and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. So Peter again is transitioning into the main body of this letter, and he's going to summarize for us two critical aspects of our conduct that he's going to tease out in more detail in the verses to come. So he starts like this. He says, to live in a way that displays Christ's kingdom as preferable to the world's. Live in a way that displays Christ's kingdom as preferable to the world's. Look at 11 again. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. So there's three things I want us to note in this verse. The first is I want you to take note of Peter's tone, specifically how tender it is, because he writes, Dear friends, that Greek phrase literally means beloved. And Peter's love for these people is crucial to keep in mind, especially when you consider some of the hard and difficult things that he has to say to them and to us in the coming verses. See, if we don't keep 
his love out in front, if we don't keep his love for these people front of mind, we're at risk of reading him as this sort of harsh, tyrannical, controlling bully who's just trying to get people to do what he wants them to do. But nothing could be further from reality. Instead, Peter is like this loving father who loves his kids, cares about his children enough that he would warn them about anything that may hurt them. And his words here in verse 11 are a prime example of this. So notice his tender tone. And then secondly, I want you to note uh, this sobering reminder that he gives us of every Christian's station in this world. Because notice he says, I urge you as strangers and exiles. And so Peter here again displays disciples of Jesus as exiles who are living in a foreign kingdom. And we can't forget this because it reminds us that feeling like an outsider at times in this world is not an indication that something is wrong. In fact, for a follower of Jesus, it's actually an indication that something is right. The world's system is not God's system. And because the world's system is not God's system, the world's system is not our system. We live for a different king. And so I think especially right now in the cultural season and moment that we're in, if you are feeling socially and politically homeless right now, like you just don't seem to align perfectly with one tribe or one movement, this is why. The idea that we will always fit in, the notion that we will always be accepted, the belief that our way of life will always be popular is just simply misguided. To follow Jesus is to often feel out of step with whatever culture you live in. And that presupposes a question that Peter's about to answer. That question being, well, then what does it exactly look like for us to live as exiles in this world? And so Peter answers that with a caring command. He says, abstain from evil desires that wage war against the soul. So now note that word, abstain. Uh, The word abstain just simply means to refrain from doing something. So fasting involves abstaining from eating. Sobriety involves abstaining from the influencing substances like drugs or alcohol. Uh, Dieting means abstaining from certain foods. And, And the tough thing about abstaining is that abstinence of almost any kind can be exceptionally difficult. Uh, You might remember uh, a few months ago, uh, I mentioned how a bunch of us and some of you participated, we participated in that like Nike running challenge thing. Um, I've been comfortable talking about that challenge because I performed well in it. Not as well, again, as Joey Hendricks, who cheated by not disclosing that he could run for days on end without stopping. But I did, I, I I held my own. What I have not been very comfortable talking about, I don't think I've ever said anything about it publicly, is, is the weight loss challenge that a few of us did right after the running one. And I've not been comfortable talking about that because I did so unbelievably poorly in this follow-up challenge. Poor Dee Dee Johnson did such an amazing, she found this real fun app where all the participants put their names in, and then each week you go head-to-head with one of those participants for the highest percentage of weight loss in that week. Now, in theory, I should have done great because this had the one factor that's really important for like who I am to my core, which is competition. I like to win. The problem was winning entailed abstaining from the sugar and the carbs that were carrying me through quarantine at the time. And so I decided like three days into this challenge that I would rather feel dumpy than depressed. And I just decided like, I think I'm, I think I'm just going to lose this challenge. Just conscious choice to stop entering my weight. I think I entered a total of three times 
and then lost to Dee Dee's dad, who is superior to me in, in every single way possible. But my point is just that abstinence of almost any kind is exceptionally difficult, which is the reason that it's so important that we understand both what Peter's calling us to abstain from and why. Because notice, we're called to abstain from evil desires. Now, that sounds very ominous. And in essence, these evil desires, that phrase is meant to summarize all of the characteristics that would define the way of the world. It's, it's any desire that is contrary to God's good way for us. And so in Peter's mind, these evil desire, desires would certainly have included any and all sexual practice that was contrary to God's creative intent. And we know this because of how frequently this issue is brought up in the New Testament. See, practices like prostitution and pedophilia and sexual abuse of slaves, all of that was so commonplace in first century Greco-Roman culture. And so Peter here, in many ways, echoes the words of Paul in places like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, where he writes, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Or more generally, in chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes, Stay away or abstain from every kind of of evil. And so sexual sin was certainly in Peter's mind, but here's the thing. This command is in no way restricted to just that one area. Again, this is a command to abstain from any characteristic of the world that is contrary to God's good and better way for us. And so think of this in terms of living for the approval of people over the approval of God, or uh, worshiping comfort deriving our meaning from monetary success, craving power over sacrifice. See, what we tend to do is we tend to find the evil desire that we don't struggle with, and then we elevate that thing, and then we just demonize it to death, and we ignore the fact that that command consumes far more than just that one area we don't struggle with. And so the truth is we all have something in here that, that Peter is calling us to abstain from. And so he is calling us to do away with any and every characteristic of this world that is contrary to God's good and better way for us. And furthermore, he gives us a good reason for this. He says that these evil desires wage war against the soul. Now this word soul uh, is, comes from the Greek word where we take our word psyche from. And it refers to the, the entire sum of who you are. So it's the sum of all of your psychological faculties, such as the heart, the mind, and the conscience. And so Peter is saying that these evil desires, they wage war on the sum of who we are, our souls. And I think what makes these evil desires so dangerous is how subversive they are. Because on the outside, they promise something, they promise one thing, but then they deliver something that is totally different. And again, I think food is an amazing illustration of this. So last Sunday night, the last meal that was in our fridge in our home was a very sensible and very healthy pork tenderloin that Tammy was planning on making. It's a delicious meal. The problem is we eat it a lot, and so every time it's pork tenderloin night, you can just like, our kids audibly boo in our house when they find out that's what we're having. It's just because we've had it so much. And so I don't know which one of our family members incepted this original idea, but right as about the time that Tammy was getting ready to go make this dinner... 
um, we decided as a family collectively to pivot from this very healthy pork tenderloin and green beans to cheeseburger and fries. It was a massive swing in a very different direction. And so Ava and I ran to the grocery store. We got everything that we, need, we needed, and then Tammy grilled this incredible dinner. And so I'm not going to lie, I was sitting at the dining room table crushing this burger and fries, like, it, like my life depended on it. And all I kept thinking was, this was such a good decision. <laughs> because I, I also had this pork tenderloin in my mind, and I'm like, this is just so much more delicious than that sad sack pork tenderloin that we were going to eat. And so I was feeling so great about that decision. And then I woke up the next morning at 5, to go to the gym. And our, just, our workout that day just happened to just be all the running on the planet. And so I'm like a third of the way through this run before I realized like, oh, um, my stomach has chosen to betray me this morning. And so, and so I'm, I'm trying to finish this run, just struggling through it. And, and my thought process had totally changed from the night before. Because in that moment, all I kept thinking was that burger was such a bad idea. And the poor tenderloin would have been so preferable in this moment. And in all seriousness, these evil desires that, Paul, or that Peter describes here, they're like that. They promise something good. And they even oftentimes deliver something that is good in the moment. The problem is, in the long run, they poison our souls. And oftentimes, we're just consumed with the short game rather than the long. But this is why the ways of the world are experientially inferior to the ways of God. God's ways are always, always better. And so the truth is, as is often the case, this really comes down to an issue of trust. Do we actually trust God enough to take him at his word? Will we trust that he is good and that he only wants good for us? Will we trust that if he calls us to abstain from something, it's not for no reason, and it's not to rob us of joy and fun. It's because whatever that thing is has the potential to destroy the very sum of who we are. And so remember what Peter's driving at here. Every believer's life is like a billboard for the gospel. And so what message is your life delivering? Peter calls us to live in a way that displays Christ's kingdom as preferable to the world. Now, here's the second critical aspect of our conduct that Peter highlights. Number two is this, live in a way that captivates the imagination of those who do not follow Christ. Live in a way that captivates the imagination of those who do not follow Christ. Look at verse 12. He says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, which at this point in church history would have included anyone who was not a follower of Jesus, not just non-Jewish people. But conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, which is what was happening at the time, they will observe your good works and they will glorify God on the day that he visits. And so Peter started in verse 11, telling, in verse 11 telling us what we should abstain from, and now he commands what we should engage in. He says we are to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now that word honorably refers to moral excellence. As followers of Jesus, we're to strive to live with moral excellence, or what Eugene Peterson called an exemplary life among those who don't know Jesus. Now, I want to make sure that we absorb this in the manner that Peter actually intends, because there is this, there has been historically, 
this huge portion of the Christian church that always seems to take verses like this to mean that we as Christians should be solely known for what we are against. What should define us as Christians is this long list of things that we abstain from. And oftentimes what happens is that results in a distortion of Christianity that sees itself as always being morally superior. And that actually completely misses Peter's meaning here. See, in Peter's day, virtues like the self-control that was necessary to abstain from carnal desires, those were actually a very high value in Greek culture. And so Peter here is not in fact, positioning the culture that he lived in as exclusively evil, and and the church is having the market cornered on all things that are good. He assumes that at times there is going to be overlap. Remember, the world was created by God, and every person who has ever lived on this planet has been created in the image of God. And so, as a result, even people who don't follow God are capable of great good. And Peter's point is that where we find overlap, we are to labor for excellence in these areas as followers of Jesus. And so I'll give you an example. If you were to ask virtually anyone living in our world, if we should all treat one another with respect, with the exception of maybe a very small percentage, most people are going to agree that respect for one another is an objective virtue that we should all pursue in our culture. And then next week, we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter writes this simple command, honor everyone. And so this is an example of where we find overlap between God's values on the one hand and the culture's values that we live in. And so Peter's point is, when we find overlap like this, we should labor as Christians to be excellent in these areas. The problem is, especially in this specific example, we tend to be pretty awful at it. Rather than honoring everyone, we have a tendency to demean, to demonize, and to disrespect those that we differ with on the regular. And what Peter's talking about here is why that's such a problem. We want to exemplify these agreed-upon good virtues in our world. And of course, where there is conflict between the world's values and God's values, clearly, when there is conflict, we obey God. And we humbly endure the difficulty that may come from that decision. But once again, Peter tells us why this is so important. The goal, as a follower of Jesus, is to live in such a way that those who are far from God would be drawn to him. And can we agree that that, that the way that a, a huge sum of the Christian population in our day is not attractive to a dying world. Quite honestly, right now, like there's days I'm on social media, I'm like, I don't even want to identify as a Christian anymore. Honestly, Tammy and I have had that conversation so much because the billboard that we are projecting to the world is just awful. And why we think anyone would want like come into our cesspool, we'd love to have you, it's warm in here. Like, that's this message that if we're honest, like, and we're paying attention, that we are projecting, and it is a problem. We are supposed to live and embody the way of Jesus in a manner that would draw a lost world to God. And so when it comes to the way we do relationships, when it comes to the way that we raise our kids, when it comes to the way that we disagree in public discourse, the way we respond to authority, as we'll study next week, 
the way that we build our marriages, all of that matters for reasons that are so far beyond our own personal happiness and joy. All of that matters for reasons beyond all that. We are called to live in a way that displays the reality that Jesus is the true source of everything our culture longs for. And so what that means is your singleness is missional. And your marriage is missional. And parenting is missional. And friendship is missional. And honor and respect are all missional. Stewardship is missional. All of these things matter because we are called to live in a way that would captivate the imagination of those who do not follow Christ. Every believer's life is a billboard for the gospel. And so I want to close with two questions. The first question to our first point is this. Where do you have a pattern of bowing to base desires? Where do you have a pattern of bowing to these base desires that might momentarily look appealing or momentarily be experientially pleasurable, but in the long run are waging war on your soul? Maybe it isn't an expression of your sexuality. Maybe you live as a slave to the approval and the opinions of the people who are around you. Maybe you're killing yourself to achieve whatever success in life that you believe is going to provide you with meaning. Maybe you live from selfishness rather than sacrifice. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God's Spirit does. And so I want to ask you to have the courage this morning to ask the Spirit of God, where do I have a pattern of bowing to these base desires in my life? Because make no mistake, whether we sense it, whether we see it, these things are waging war on our souls. So first question, where do you have a pattern of bowing to base desires? Second question is this, where can you work to do consistent good in your world? Where can you work to do consistent good in your world? Uh, like here, here's just one like super basic idea. I want to prayerfully and slowly read some portion of God's word every single day and look for one attitude or one behavior that I can seek with God's help to embody that day. This is one way. But think about the way that you carry yourself at work. Think about the way that you carry yourself at school at the gym, in your neighborhood, all of these places that we go, all of these environments that we inhabit as followers of Jesus, what message does our life proclaim? Every believer's life is a billboard for the gospel. And so let's live in a way that displays both what is true and that would capture the imagination of those around us. I love you. Let's pray. Father, we need your help in this. And Lord, I, th I thank you that none of this is, uh, none of this is commands from Peter that we are meant to obey so that you will love us and accept us and so that we could be good enough to be your sons and daughters. All, all of this is behavior and conduct that as we follow you flows out of this new birth that we have already been given by you. And so Lord, I, I pray if anyone is listening this morning who does not know you, that you would first and foremost awaken their heart to faith. Don't allow them to believe the lie that they have to do these things so that they can be accepted by you. Help them to simply receive the gift 
of new birth through faith in Jesus this morning and then live out of that new identity. But to that end, Lord, we need your help because we do sometimes lose sight of the fact that these evil desires that we all feel and that we all have we forget that they are waging war against our soul and we believe the lies that they tell and as a result, we bow to them. And we need your help to not do that. So I just pray that your spirit would help us to see areas in which we are falling prey to these desires and that you would help us to abstain, to stand firm in what you say is true, to trust you and to take you at your word. And then secondly, Lord, I just pray that, that everywhere that we go in every environment that you have put us, that you would help us to live in a way that would capture the imagination of the people around us that don't know you, that there would be something different about us. Lord, not just in, in the things that we abstain from that the world doesn't, Lord, but in the joy that we have, the peace that we live with, the attitude that we carry, the way and the manner in which we speak. Lord, help us to live as though the gospel is actually true, because it is. But we need your help with all of that. And so we pray that you would give us the grace necessary and that your spirit would carry us into these things that we long for. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.